0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Hey, everybody.
1: I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital,
0: DeSoto. And today we are very excited to have Dr. Andazola and Dr. Scott here with us today. Dr. Scott, and, uh, and John, can, can I call you John? Yes, absolutely. All right. well, welcome to the show. Can you can you all tell us just a little bit of your background and and tell the audience who you are?
2: I'll let you go first.
3: Sure. I'm Mariella Scott. I'm a medical anthropologist um, and I, um, I, I work as I'm a professor at New Mexico State University in the anthropology department and also um, and working as an associate program director um, in the Southern New Mexico Family Medicine Residency Program. And my um, my research focuses on cultures of medicine and medical education, and um, so that's that's how I got connected with Dr. Andozola.
2: Yep, and I am um, the program director of the Southern New Mexico Family Medicine Residency Program here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's my primary role.
1: That's great. and And once again, thank you guys, for being here. And uh, you know when when I found out you guys are going to be on the show and, and or on the podcast, I was really excited because number one, I, the, the the first question that I wanted to ask Dr. Scott is, what exactly is a medical anthropologist? that that is that's you're the you're the first medical anthropologist, I think you may be the first anthropologist that I've ever met, and for sure, the first medical anthropologist.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, um, I get that question a lot, so <laughs> I'm used to answering it. So um, medical anthropology is a subfield, obviously, of the broader field of anthropology, and so anthropology as a whole is really um, looking at um, human cultures, past and present, um, and so it's a very, very big field. Um, and so, really, anything related to humans and, and our, our bio, how our biologies and cultures interact um, is, is part of anthropology. Uh, medical anthropology specifically um, really focuses on um, human experiences of health and illness. Um, and so, that can really range too. So, it can range from looking, um, comparing different kinds of healing systems. Um, whether, you know, traditional healing systems versus Western medicine, for example, um, or um, can really focus in on looking at um, people's experiences of, say, a particular disease process, like um, how do people experience diabetes, for example. So it's it's also really big in itself, but it focuses really specifically on humans' experiences of health and illness.
0: Well, you know, that that's, that's fascinating, and it's very fac- fascinating that you know, this is a very unique situation. I don't think I've ever heard of any hospital or any, you know, family medicine program that has a medical anthropologist on staff. How did the idea to incorporate these these two
2: different domains come into uh, to being? Well, that's a that's a that's a good question because I think I was equally like, I don't know what a medical anthropologist is, and now she's appointed as a associate program director. But um I think uh, the story goes, I think several years ago, um, she um, approached me um, to study how how residents learn culture. And that was really the question. How do residents learn culture? And I think at that time, the question that she was proposing is, how do we as a faculty teach um, cultural competency and what does that mean? And, and uh, it was interesting because during that time, I had been thinking about, um, what we do in medicine in general. And, um, and basically I I was telling, I had this discussion with her and I said, I would like you to learn how we teach acculturation of medicine because my thought process is, is, you know, I have residents from India. I have residents from Mexico. I have residents from Boston and from Tucson and from Albuquerque. And they come to me and I tell them, this is the box you have to fit in. This is what you're supposed to be. Right. This is what a family medicine doctor looks like. You know, you dress a certain way, you talk a certain way. Um, And so at the end of the residency program, I have acculturated this individual to be a certain person. And I have these expectations. And um, my thought was, is this good? Am I doing harm? Is this what I should be doing? Um, and, And so that thought process, it was really interesting was happening and it coincided with our introduction, so I talked to her about that. I said, "Why don't we study the acculturation of the resident and what that what that means?" Um, and she said, "Wow, sure." <laughs> and so I think that's where it where it came. And I, I'll tell you, she spent she actually did an ethnography, and I'll let her explain all the details of that. Brought in her research team did um, really an immersive research project with our residency program and uh, um, and was able to act, as I say, as a mirror. And was able to say, hey, this is what's happening in the residency program. And here's the really awesome things that happen. And here's the mm, maybe not so awesome things that happen. And during that time was the same time we were talking about burnout. We were talking about um I guess, you know, structures in medicine that lead to burnout. And it was really, I think, eye-opening. And I think we learned a ton about ourselves. Um, And I found it so valuable that she became a faculty member and now is associate program director. And we could talk more about the growth of that and where that's leading and why, but that's really kind of where it all started.
1: That's really fascinating. And, and, you know, just thinking about you know, I never have really thought about the culture of of my residency training, and and Jake and I, Jake and I trained in in different eras, uh, eras, and uh, you know, I trained pre 80-hour workweek limitations. I was in a general surgery residency, and and Dr. Scott, how have you seen just broadly how the culture of residency training has changed in the last 30 years or so, or 50 years?
3: Well, that's a big question <laughs> um, so um, so given that I started doing this work about seven years ago <laughs> um, but I think you know looking at um, talking with the um, the residents and the faculty in this program and just over the last seven years um, sort of learning a lot more um, just in talking with people um, not just in this program but in, in other programs as well um, it, it, it I do think there have been lots of moves to try to address um, the, the issues with um with with burnout um, with uh, and with other mental health concerns that residents and faculty also um, have within medical education and so um you brought you mentioned the um, 80hour work week um the you know the the change from talking about duty hours to clinical um in educational um, experience um, and i think those have been um the, those those efforts, I think, are really in the in the right direction, right? In thinking about um, how how to c- continue to provide you know a high level of education to produce really high quality physicians in different specialties, but to do so in a way that is um, that's that is less harmful, right? That can address some of those issues that we see related to um, burnout and anxiety and um, and other kinds of mental health concerns. Like I said, but um, you know, I, I do think one of the things that I've seen a shift in very recently that I'm really excited about um, is that when I first started um, this about seven years ago, there was lots and lots of talk about resiliency and this sort of emphasis on individuals developing the skills um, to be resilient in these really challenging environments. And I and I wasn't really seeing a whole lot of questioning of the environment itself, right? And and saying, Why is it that we need to be so resilient um, in this environment? And is there something, certainly it's always going to be a challenging environment. Medicine is not easy um, and and it's never going to be easy. But are there things about this environment that could be support that we could change so that they're more supportive of the people who are working in it um, rather than sort of putting it back on the individual Um, To be resilient themselves. And I've seen a huge change in the conversation in that in the last, especially the last maybe three years or so, Mm -hmm. um, where people are really focusing on what are the structures, what are the what are the practices, what are the rules and the regulations and um, the ways that and the culture Um, of our medical education systems that might be um, leading to this need for resiliency. So I'm, I'm excited really to see, to see that shift on a really big level.
2: I mean, I'd, I'd like to comment on that. And like the whole idea of resiliency, I think about physicians. um, Generally we're a pretty resilient group, right? So we're pretty smart. um, We go through a lot of work. um, We, 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 you know, I, I'm gonna use inappropriate terms or whatever, but like battle through our education, and we come out on top. And we've done that um, through our college education, through our medical education, through our residency program. And in practice, we have to learn how to develop resiliency. And I, 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 it's a, it's a bad, it's a bad comparison, but this is what I say. I say it's just like, you know, earthquake hits Haiti and they come with these helicopters and they land with a book saying, here, this is a book on resiliency, you guys need to be tough. And it's like, wait, wait a minute, it, it, you know, there's there's issues in the environment that's happening. Um, and, and it's not that the people on the ground need to be tougher, or they need to figure out how to balance work life. Um, maybe it's the environment in which we're immersed. And I think yeah. that's the, that's the question. That's
0: really interesting. Um, you know, so you're talking about we've, we've talked a lot about culture. Obviously, you study culture. Everybody gets a sense of, you know, just kind of intuitively what their institutional culture is. But how do you study it? How I mean, what do you look for in a culture? How, how does that process work? Yeah, that's
3: a good question. So um, well, so the way that I the, the way that I think about it as an anthropologist is that um, first of all, it's important to recognize that um, culture is constantly shifting and changing, um, and it and so it's not a it's not a thing which makes it very difficult to study. Um, it's more of kind of a process that's happening um, around us all the time. Um, and so I, but I do think about some key components um, of this cult, of kind of cultural processes that I try to focus on in in my research. Um, and so I what I focus on, I, I focus on the the structures. So what do the institutions look like? And that includes what are the kind of rules and regulations of that institution. What is the physical layout? Um, you know, ha- so because people are interacting right in that environment. Um, who is in the different kinds of spaces that we're that we're working in, Um, but also looking at um, what is being taught. And I think that's really, really critical, because when you think about culture from, you know, as an anthropologist, um, culture is is something that humans teach each other, right? And so we pass this along, um, whether it's in our families or in our workplaces or um, you know, wherever we happen to be. And so I really focus on what are the what are what is being taught? What are the values that are being taught? Um, how are we teaching those values? So kind of what are the practices um, that we're that we're using um, to teach those values? Um, and what are the outcomes, right? what What happens um, when when we teach um, in the way that we teach? So um, so what I just really briefly, and then I, I'm sure you all have maybe follow- up questions about this, but just really briefly, there are two key um, ways that I study culture. One is by interviewing people. And so I ask them directly um, to tell me about their experiences. um, And that gives me insight into how how people are perceiving the world around them. But then I also observe. Um, And so in anthropology, we often call that participant observation. So we try to participate in the environments as much as we can. Obviously, I'm not a physician, so I can't actually practice medicine, but I can be present in meetings and I can be present on rounds and I can, um, I can pay attention to what's happening in all of those different spaces um, within the medical education environment, um, be present um, at sometimes if patients allow it right in the room, right, with patients, whether in the clinic or in the hospital, um, to be able to observe um, and really really pay attention to what's going on Kind of as a little bit of an of an outsider so i can take a step back from what's immediately happening in the moment and look at the broader context
0: so do you act like jane goodall and you know go to the or and watch the monkeys or i'm sorry surgeons um you know, <laughs> <they're->
3: <laughs> you are not the first person who has made that comparison i have to say one of our residents when i was first um Starting to to do this study, I, I walked into the clinic one day and he said, Up, oh, you're here here to observe the gorillas. And I um it was a it was an important comment that he made though, because this is I think one of the challenges for anthropologists is that um that's that's a uh it's kind of a powerful position to be in, right? To be the one yeah. who's observing. Um and you have to have people who are willing to let you observe, right? Um, sure. and so I think uh I think but so yeah, so it's that. But I think for me, the other really important piece is constant feedback, right? So I'm I'm talking to to people, you know, on a re- to people in the residency on a regular basis, saying, here, you know, this is what I'm seeing. Does that resonate with with what with your experience of it, or am I am I really missing something? Because I think that's important to you know to check in and um, check in with the people that you're working with um, when you're doing research. Make sure that um, that it that it resonates, and so we we've, we've done a lot of that um, talking about what I'm seeing. Yeah, you
2: know what's interesting about the I'm sorry to interject, but I think what's really interesting about seeking that feedback, right? Um, I would very proactively seek feedback from her all the time. Um, we I we would I know she'd be there, and I would have an in, an inter a an interesting interaction with a resident, or with a consultant or with a nurse, right? And it didn't have to be negative, but it could be, it, there could be something. And I, at the end of the day, I would ask her, did you learn anything? And what I was asking her is like, tell me what you saw so I can understand what the interaction meant. <laughs> what, what, what's the hidden story behind that? Um, and I find it's, fine, it's fascinating because we do that in medicine all the time. And there's things that are unwritten that we do Rules, behaviors, interactions um, that are automatic, and it's really wonderful having the mirror there to say, "This is what I saw," and it's just enough to open open my eyes to say, oh, that was good," or "Ooh, that's what this means," um, and that could be potentially harmful.
1: Well, well, John, I was I'm curious, you know, based on based on Mary Alice's observations and things that she has seen. Has it caused you to to change the way uh, you guys are training family medicine residents there? Have, have have you, you know, I mean, have you moved away from the the traditional way that that we all were trained?
2: Um, in part, absolutely, in part. So I mean, I think you know we have uh, the ACGME provides us with requirements, and we still have yeah, to you meet have those the framework, in, sure, and yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, but it leads us to question some of the structures, like, for instance, our first year is uh, tough, right? Internship is hard. And um, it leads us to question, does it have to be? And, and what kind of structural changes can we make in residency that make that difference? The other thing that is um, interesting is the hidden curriculum. So, you know, it's what's taught underneath what's not written and uh, I see bill give me a thumbs up but the hidden curriculum is is um, is common in what we do right and so I make a comment about a, a cardiologist I just taught my resident something right um, I have a very specific interaction with the nurse I just taught my resident something and so bringing those to light and addressing that goes a long way. And then I think the flip side of the coin is calling out the hidden curriculum. So um, I know, I I know we've talked about the culture of like, um, corporate medicine, right? And we hear all the time, it's all about patient safety and quality. But what they want to know is what's the volume? And what's the revenue? Well, that's the hidden curriculum, they're telling us what what's important. Even though they say one thing, and it's not universal, and there's great organizations, and I'm not saying that, and and I think um, um, genuinely, I think people want high quality um, um, patient care, but we do hear that, right? And so what is that telling us? And I think learning how to identify and address the hidden curriculum is very valuable.
1: Oh, yeah, I, you know, I just learned something because i I know exactly what you're talking about, but i I've, I've never heard it referred to as as the hidden curriculum that that's that's very, very interesting. And I have a, a question for you, Dr. Scott, looking more more broadly, you know looking at the the culture of medicine in the United States and and you know, I was just curious to get your thoughts on how it compares to maybe, other other cultures like uh, Great Britain or in Scandinavia where where everybody has access to health care. And you know, in your opinion or in your observations, um, does that type of health care delivery and that type of culture does it do you think it leads to better outcomes? Do you think it leads to people to be take a more active role in their health care?
3: Well oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, so so I certainly different, I would say, you know, different healthcare systems are, you know, have make a difference, right? Have have different outcomes. And so I'm, I'm not um, as familiar, like, you know, with specific outcomes. I do think sure. um, access to health care is a huge issue um, in the United States, and it isn't as much of an issue in other places, although certainly um, there are still there are still um, issues with that. Medical education specifically, I would um, say, um, is, at least from what I've read, I haven't done any research in, like, Great Britain or or, um, or Canada, which I, I want to mention Canada, um, Canadian medical system, but I have, you know, read the literature um, in that, and so in what I've, what I've read, there are very, very similar um, people, other anthropologists and other medical educators report very similar issues um, in medical education, say in, in Great Britain, um, in Israel, in, um, in Denmark, those are the places that I that I think have, a, there's a lot of research coming out of medical education institutions in those countries. Um, and they do see very, very similar um, issues related to medical education specifically. Um, Canada, um, I've seen slightly different um, outcomes I, I'm not, and I'm not sure, but it, it may have to do with their their really intentional move towards competency competency-based education, and also um, towards really thinking about social accountability um, of medicine and medical education. And I think that create I think, and again, I'm I'm not doing research there, but this is you know kind of my reading of it that that creates a different environment um, that that may be a, a more supportive environment for uh, medical learners. Um, I will say those movements are happening in the United States as well, and so I think we're starting to see more and more um, medical edu- institutions of medical education that are really thinking consciously about um, about the- these kinds of environments. So I think we're I think we're really starting to see to see a shift.
0: Sure. And so, you know, when you're interviewing a new resident, or when we're we're hiring somebody, or you know, not just within actually hiring a physician but um, you know hiring an employee a lot of times we'll, we'll look for culture fit is, is what we'll say well do, do they fit our culture um and you know sometimes you have an employee or a resident that leaves the program and you'll ask well I was like it just wasn't a good culture fit for for us or for them what are we saying and what do we mean by that <laughs> that
3: is a good question <laughs> um I so I would I would ask some additional questions, right? Um, I would I would ask about is I would say is this a question? It if you're looking at your environment, is this an environment that is including a diverse um, group of people? Um, and can people who have different perspectives come from different backgrounds really feel like they can belong here? Um, and if 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 you the answer is is no, then I then I would say that you know then what you're really saying is we haven't made an effort as an institution to be more inclusive um, ra- rather than you're not a good fit for for us. Um, it, I mean, I, I don't think that means that there's never a case where somebody is not, you know, isn't a good fit. I mean, you could have an incredible institutional environment and, and something not work out. Right. But but for me, it would be really important to ask those questions. Is it really them or, or is it us? Um, do is there something about our culture that is um, not allowing this person to fit?
0: That's no, interesting. Know. And we hear, you know, we've had a lot of friends. I've had a lot of friends, some that, that chose a specialty, maybe like surgery or something else. And then um, after their intern year or second year, they change and do a different specialty um, for, for various reasons. It, it might not always be culture, but I would imagine there's subcultures within an institution, within a program. Um, you know, what sort of, do you notice that as well that, you know, because you can easily talk to another doctor and I could tell that HF and bill are surgeons, (laughs) you wouldn't even have to tell me. Um, and then if you meet a pediatrician, you know, they're a pediatrician. We just kind of can assess their personality. I don't know if it's self-selection or, or the program builds that, but, um, what have you noticed as far as subcultures within medicine?
3: Yeah, good, good, good question. I'm assuming I'm assuming that's for me, but you can you can also. Jump no, in I, absolutely want, the- I
2: absolutely want I absolutely want Alice to address this, but I, I I we have talked about this in the past, and we actually wrote a chapter um, recently in a book, and we talked about there being different cultures in different units, right? So um, what's the culture like in the ER versus in the ICU versus in you know uh, tele or whatever? Um, And uh, I think I think we see see that generalities there are generalities there. And I think that's really what's important about understanding culture is that it's it's there's some things that are similar, but they're in flux and they're different and they change. Um, And so I wanted uh, she's the expert, but absolutely, we have had those discussions.
3: Yeah, and I, I think um, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm actually, uh, since I'm so focused in family medicine, I think I can pick out, fam, you know, it, there are some things about family medicine that typically get taught, right? And you tend to see those in people who are family physicians, right? Because there's a, there, and I think that speaks to um, the idea that there is some kind of, you know, culture around that that we can, that we can identify. And the same, I think, you know, is is true for for other specialties. Um, but but I do also think, um, you know, there are some unique people who who don't who don't fit the mold, right? Who who kind of um, have different you know different personalities or different ways of engaging with medicine. And so it's not you know 100 percent you know everybody who's a family physician. I mean, the stereotype that I always heard, um, and my father is a family physician um, as well, is that. Um, the family physicians are the ones wearing Birkenstocks, um, which is always what I used to hear um, when I was growing up. Um, But, you know, I mean, some family physicians don't, you know, they, but I think what they're calling out is, is this, is a value that people tend to see within family medicine, which is, which is this um, more of of sort of a, um, I think, maybe potentially thinking about, about class um, and, you know, not wanting to sort of project a kind of a image of someone who's very wealthy. Um, but but so I think when we talk about those generalizations that we're making, we're talking about values within that particular environment or unit or specialty that we recognize as, as values that commonly get taught.
1: That's so interesting, Jake, because, you know, I think about at Vanderbilt, you know, you had the neurosurgeons you know, we called them the Bodines because Jethro Bodine wanted to be a neurosurgeon. We had, you know, and and it's interesting that even to this day, when I meet or the orthopods, you know, most of those guys were were jocks. You know, not yeah. not not a hundred percent. But even today, when I, you know, when I hear somebody's a neurosurgeon, I, you automatically get this kind of picture, mental picture of what they're going to be like, and, and 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 a lot of times it. You know, it's true, but there are a lot of times you're like, that guy, to, you know, he's not your typical neurosurgeon. So that, that that's very, very interesting about the, the the subcultures within within the culture of an institution.
0: And the emergency yeah. medicine docs with the Patagonia vest and riding their bike to work. You know, that's. that's yeah. You know, we, we, I, I mean this affectionately, Jake, but we called
1: you guys, you know, the medicine guys <laughs> were the fleas you know what's what's the last thing to leave a a dying dog it's it's a flea but uh, but I can tell you this jake my my personal physician I want him to be a flea you know and then we caught we we would say you know they they had their flea collar on as they wore their stethoscope around uh, you know around their <laughs> so, but, but anyway yeah, and you don't-
3: you know what I would say about those stereotypes? Like I think, you know, we can use them in joking ways with each other, right? But we also yeah. have to be careful about um the stereotypes that we create about about other people because it can lead us to not see what's really there, right? So we Absolutely. can have this kind of confirmation yeah. bias that I already think this person is like yes. this. So I'm gonna pay attention to the things that confirm that for me. So I um and I, I so yeah, so I think it's I think it's you know, it's both funny and also something that we kinda wanna be um, you know, want to be mindful about, um, what, about, um, what the, what the, what the outcomes, right. Of, of those. Of Absolutely. Absolutely. The sure. So, yeah.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you mentioned wanting to study the cultures. What are some of your findings that, uh, what are some of the outcomes and, and things that you publish published related to this?
3: Yeah. So, um, so so one one thing that we've spent a lot of time um, talking about is is the hidden curriculum, as John mentioned earlier. Um, and and um, so just I'll give you just kind of a couple of specific um, areas that we've really focused on. So one of the things that we noticed when we were um, we were doing this ethnographic work is that um, there there were a number of um, policies. That on the surface appeared to be fair, um, and, and everyone understood them to be fair, but kind of when you look when you look more closely at them, or when you look at the way they actually work out in practice, they don't end up being fair. Um, and so one one example um, that and and John uh, maybe can jump in and, and give some more detail on this, but one example that we um, that we talked a lot about was. How we deal with people call, when people call in sick. Um, and so who you know what what is the policy about who replaces the person who calls in sick? Um, and you know you have a I probably most places have a list, right? And so you um, you know who who is the next person to be called. But then what happens to the person who calls in sick? Where do they go on the list? Do they stay in the spot where they were? Or do they move to the top and what was happening is that people who called in sick were moved to the top of the list so they would be the first person to replace the next person who called in sick and it seemed fair right you called in sick so next time it's your turn right to to um to take on this um, responsibility of, of filling in for your colleague who can't be there right um but what but the problem is if someone has an an issue that might cause them to call in sick on a more regular basis they're always at the top of the list
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, and so they end up being the person who um, or they're regularly at the top of the list so they actually end up filling in for other people more frequently Um, and so that um, so 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 rather than you you know so they fill in for someone they move to the bottom of the list but then they need to be out and so they're back up at the top again right Um, and so in practice what happened is that people who had or what could happen is let's say someone has a chronic illness um, and they they may they may need to call in sick more frequently in order to be able to address that chronic illness well they're essentially being punished for having that illness right that is the perspective that i kind of um was taking on it and so we had a conversation about it um and and I think, I mean, you can say what, what your response was, but my sense was that people, that everybody was surprised, hadn't thought about it that way, but it made sense. And then I believe there were some immediate changes to, to that, like, immediately. Um, but I think those are, the, so those are the kinds of things that I think we were able to, to look at. On the other side, I, I wanna say something positive too. Um, on the other side, one of the things that we were able to do was to identify some really outstanding teaching practices and some ways that, um, that faculty were um, able to really meet the learner at the place where they where that, lear- that specific learner was, um, to be able to interact with them in a way that didn't feel um, uh, demeaning, didn't feel intimidating, because I think that's very kind of common in medical education and a lot of the literature that I was reading was it talks about pimping in medical education and um, that, you know, this is not really the best way to learn. So we were also to identify some other strategies, right? Some some really innovative and alternative ways of teaching that we could highlight so that um, the, so the rest of the faculty could also start to integrate those into their practice. And, and I don't know if you want to add anything else to either of those or another.
2: I think um, I had mentioned the hidden curriculum earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we we have um, or the residents have what they call a jeopardy list, and that's exactly what Dr. Scott was saying. And when you needed to pull somebody, you had they're on the jeopardy list, and they came in, and the whole story that, that um, Mary Alice just shared with us. Um, but what was that? What was that teaching? And I think that was really interesting. And what it was teaching is you shouldn't be sick, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, and in, you know, in medicine, that, that's common, right? You don't get sick, you don't get tired, right? That's a hidden curriculum. And what are we teaching and what does that mean? And how do we build a, a structure or a culture around that that contradicts that, right? Because believe it or not, I think uh, all of us here are still humans, right? And so, uh, and so we still have all the, the human tendencies to, to not be perfect. But it was a it was an eye opening experience because we were teaching people you can't be sick, and yep. the people who suffered, um, believe it or not, were my pregnant residents. So they would have to step out for X, Y, or Z, and uh, and then they would be put right on top of the list. Um, and uh, it, was, <laughs> it was it was it was a it was punishment, and and it was unintentional. So I think yeah, there's a lot of really great things that we that we have learned, and it, it took a minute to fix, um, and I think it's been good. Well, I, I know we're running
0: out of time, but the, you know that hidden curriculum about teaching them that it's not okay to be sick, I mean, that's become so apparent during the pandemic, because in the past, if you had a cold, people were, I mean, it was just common for doctors to come in and work with a cold, oh, but yeah. now, Absolutely. now we have to really stress that, no, you might have COVID, you need to get tested, and and it's been hard. And there's there's been I'm sure there's been exposures and cases where a doctor came in with COVID or, you know, just because it was always taught to them to keep working unless you were you know, bleeding. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a, another great example. We're fighting against a culture that we taught. We were we um, we inculturated were enculturated in that. Right. We were taught that. Um we didn't come into medical school believing that. I guarantee you, when we came into medical school and we were sick, we stayed home. Um, yeah. After medical school, we stayed at work.
1: Well, this has been a, a just a very fascinating uh, conversation. And, and Dr. Scott, I do have one more question. Do you? I can't imagine that there's a whole lot of medical anthropologists in the country, but, but in all seriousness, as, as we see... Our medical culture changing when we start, you know, we're looking at more at social determinants of health and, 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 and a lot of things. Do you, do you see the role for medical anthropologists expanding, you know, not only at, you know, at the residency program level, but for healthcare systems and even, you know, at a national level?
3: Um, yeah, I, I I do, and and if I can if I can plug one thing, there is a, a book that recently came out called um, Anthropology and Medical Education that we have a we wrote a chapter in that I that book um, and there so there are lots of anthropologists who contributed chapters to that book who are working in medical education um, and so we and and anthropologists have been around in medical education for a long time, um, but I but the I think the um, what has um, I think two things um one is that often people um kind of become social scientists instead of specifically anthropologists and so it the kind of anthropology piece gets a little bit muted um in that in that um and then also i think um in historically um medical anthropologists have one more more typically worked in undergraduate medical education and two um been more specifically focused on teaching about um Teaching about culture kind of in in general and sort of the different cultures of patients and, you know, in in focused in that kind of area. And I think what we're starting to see now is is hopefully and I do see a role for medical anthropologists in the future and hopefully starting to see more medical anthropologists who are able, um, you know, to to share, you know, that that our expertise goes beyond just teaching about cultural differences right um, among patients. Um, and that we also have um, some contributions to make in terms of thinking about medical systems and cultures of medicine and medical education. So I, I do I do see a, a role for medical anthropologists, and I'm seeing more and more medical anthropologists who are engaging um, in this area. So I, I think hopefully we'll see more of us in the future.
1: Well, that's great. Well, guys, we could we could sit here. I could sit here and talk all day. Yeah. But unfortunately, we need to uh, to bring it to a close. But but. Dr. Andazola, Dr. Scott, thank you so much for being here, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's been a good a, a great conversation. Thank you.
2: I learned
0: a lot. Thank you both.
2: Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being patient, waiting for us to get logged on.
1: Oh, that's okay.